0: Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Crable. I'd like to present something that I shared with the Global Media Conference in Abu Dhabi last year. I like saying Abu Dhabi. I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but it reminds me of the Flintstones. It's fun to say, Abu Dhabi. Anyway, I'm gonna talk about how Google and publishers have been at loggerheads for decades and how it's the age of AI is making it worse and worse all the time. So the basic concept is that there's this inherent conflict between Google and publishers. Today, I'm just going to do part one, which is the copyright portion of this discussion. In this four-part series, I'm going to try to get some perspective on how publishers got into the mess that they're in right now. And Here are the four parts, copyright, the search bargain, generative AI, and what comes next. Now, copyright, as I'll discuss in more depth in a little bit, Google is a copyright anarchist. They take other people's work and do what they please with it. This is partly a matter of their business model and their business operations, but it's also partly a matter of their mission statement, which I'll get into in a little bit. Now, the bottom line is that technology disrupts copyright. It always has. To some extent, you can think of copyright as the right to copy. As publishing technology got better, it became easier and easier to make reproductions. Before the dawn of modern copyright law with the Statute of Anne in the early 18th century, these issues were controlled by uh, royal charter or privileges granted to specific printers or publishers. The Statute of Anne vested copyright or the concept of copyright in the author. The more relevant point for our discussion is how easy it became as time went on to copy things. When I was a lad, it was common to buy an album and to copy it to a cassette tape. That's why I have that picture of the LP. Well, it's AI-generated image of an LP down on the right. Sometimes we'd make copies of albums for friends. Now, that was a violation of the music company's copyright, but we didn't care and nobody enforced it. Now, With every increase in technology, it gets easier to produce content and to make copies. And this has contributed to the idea of universally accessible information. In the early days of the internet, a lot of people saw that dream coming true. The internet could give everyone in the world access to all the world's information. A substantial subset of the technically inclined people and businesses promoted an attitude that information should be free and should be freely accessible. Now, Napster was a good example, or perhaps, well, an example of this concept gone wrong, maybe. They created a file sharing site that took what I was doing as a kid, making copies of albums on cassettes, and shot it to the moon. Everyone who joined Napster had access to everything in everyone else's digital music library. It was a clear copyright violation and put a big dent in music sales. Eventually they were shut down, but Napster was emblematic of the problem, the clash between free access to content and copyright. Now, at that time, a friend of mine was a big uh, fan of Napster and I challenged her on the ethics of taking copyrighted content like that. Now, by this time in my life, I had, repented my former thieving ways and actually believed in copyright. I was working for a publisher, after all. She said that taking a physical object is stealing, because it robs the owner of access to that object. But copying a digital object doesn't harm any the owner in any way. He still has what he had before. When I asked about the harm done to the musicians, and the music companies, she said, They were greedy bastards and deserved it anyway. Now, Google is the ultimate corporate expression of this information wants to be free attitude. Their mission is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Uh, That means free. It obviously means free just by the logic of it, but they've confirmed that multiple times in their annual reports and other public statements. Google wants free content supported by ads, which, by the way, they control. Now, we're going to see a pattern here, which is that big tech efforts to do what they want with content content, actually undermine what they're trying to do. But for now, let's just talk about who benefits from copyright. Copyright is an important legal concept that protects individuals, individual creators and corporations, and it also helps society as a whole. It helps individual creators by giving them the right to determine how their content will be used. If there were no such protection, then creators would have very little incentive to make anything because big companies would just swoop in, take their stuff, and with their greater resources, they would completely out-compete the creator. For example, if I wrote a book and submitted it to some publishing company, And they said, we're just going to steal that and publish it and not give you any credit whatsoever. That obviously doesn't give me any incentive to write a book. Copyright protects companies in the same way. If the company then contracts with me and says, we want to buy the rights to your book, then they don't want some other company stealing that information, printing unauthorized copies. And I remember back in the early days of uh, when the Lord of the Rings was popular, there were apparently a bunch of knockoffs. And if you bought a genuine copy, it would say this is an authorized copy from the legitimate publisher. Apparently, a lot of people were stealing it and selling it unlawfully. Now, copyright protects society because it provides an engine for creativity, new ideas, and advances in technology, in art, in science, and in so many other ways. Now, there are some areas, copyright is not absolute. We grant exceptions To copyright for fair use, where an author can use a small portion of someone else's copyrighted material without their consent, provided they give credit to the original creator. And there are some provisions in copyright law that allow libraries to do things that would otherwise infringe on copyright. The goal is to balance the interests of the copyright holders and the general public. Lending a book is not considered a copyright violation, Uh, due to things such as the first sale doctrine, which also allows a book book owner to sell or give away a book. These legal principles were all established before the advent of digital content, and some of them don't apply very well to digital content, which we'll get into in a bit. For example, lending a digital book is a very different thing than lending a physical book. Now, the way a computer processes information is very different from the way a human does. For example, when a computer plays chess, it compares the configuration of the board as it exists at that moment to a database of millions of chess games. What it does is it says, okay, when the board was like this, what did the winning player do? And then it does that thing. I'm not an expert on chess, but that's very different from the way a human player plays chess. In the same way, The way AI processes words is very different from the way a human does. A word like king is represented in AI by a multidimensional vector, something like 0.2, negative 0.4, 0.7, on and on and on and on. There might be hundreds of dimensions and the values assigned, uh, the values are assigned so that words with similar meanings are located close to one another in this multidimensional space. Words might be close along one axis and not on another. So for example, king and queen are close in the context of being a ruler, but they're not close in the context of sex, while king and duke are close to one another in the context of sex, but different in rank. These sorts of vectors allow a computer to do math on words, which sounds kind of weird, but if you think king minus man plus woman equals queen, That's the sort of thing that you can do with a mathematical representation of a word. AI models don't understand anything in the way we would think of understanding things. They just have a complex mathematical representation of words and phrases that are derived from the way they process this huge amount of text. That's a little more complicated than that, but that's enough for now. Some people claim that allowing a large language model like ChatGPT to be trained on a library of information is no different than a human being going to the library, reading a hundred books, and then writing a book on that topic. But there are some important differences. A human author does not have perfect recall. A computer can. A human processes the information in a completely different way. In other words, all the balancing and tinkering and rules we've developed over the years about libraries were constructed with humans in mind, not computers it's not likely that they'll apply in the same way. When a human relies on a, particularly, a particular uh, source extensively, he's obligated to cite that, to put it in the, in the glossary or to say, this came from this book. AI doesn't do that. It doesn't give credit to the original author whatsoever. Now, in addition to thinking through all our previous assumptions about copyright in light of AI, We need to make distinctions between works in the public domain and works that are still under copyright. For example, it might be acceptable for AI to have unlimited access to works in the public domain, but they would have to get permission from copyright owners for works that are not. The very technology that makes a large language model work could be used to create expectations about when the AI needs to give credit to the original author. Remember those multi-dimensional vectors I was, men- I was talking about before? A similar technology could determine how similar the output of the AI system is to any given work. and Different rules could be established for degrees of similarity. For example, if the output is very similar to pre-existing text, AI might have to provide a citation or even pay for the use of that content. There's any number of solutions, but there there are ways to deal with this problem. Finally, copyright isn't the only way to regulate access to content. There's also something called Creative Commons, which allows copyright owners to set the terms under which their creation can be used. It has the benefit of not being uh, tied to any one jurisdiction's laws. One application of Creative Commons is Let's say I created a fictional world with a bunch of characters and so forth. and I wanted other people to do fan fiction and do other kind of things. I could say, by all means, do that. But if, if I created some, if somebody else created a fictional world and they said, no, this belongs to me. I don't want you to, to violate my copyright. That's that where the creator can have some say over how something is going to be used. Now, wrapping up this section number one, the main takeaways are while all this stuff is being worked out, and a lot of people are working on this, the New York Times is suing about this, there's a lot going on. While it's being worked out, publishers should strengthen their company's position on copyright and challenge violations. Specifically, they should change the terms and conditions, like, for example, on their website, to make it clear that their content may not be used to train large language models without the publisher's explicit consent. The New York Times has done that. You could look at their terms and conditions to see the language that they're using. It would also be a good idea to brush up on Creative Commons to see if that might be a useful tool for defining how your content could or could not be used in the future. So that wraps, wraps up part one. I'm going to do three more parts in the next few days. Hope you enjoy it. If there's any way I can help you with your business, please give me a call. There's my contact information. Thanks so much for your time.